0: And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquart.
1: Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquart. On the radio, on podcasts, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on TalkLawRadio.com. Our mission here is to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The episode today is about what happens to your preserved genetic material or embryos when you die. That's reproductive genetic material. I got the idea of talking about this uh, because of the recent Alabama court case, which held that the frozen embryo could be considered a child under under Alabama wrongful death law. So I'd like for you to listen to this episode and all my episodes on Sunday afternoons and Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock in the morning because there's so many laws and there's so many changes in laws that I want to help you avoid ignorance of the law. You see, God started with one law. He said, don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Then we have the Ten Commandments, and now we have municipal, state, and federal lawmakers that won't stop making new laws, laws that might impact you. So today, like I said, we're talking about preserved genetic reproductive material or embryos. And what happens if you die without a last will? Well, we'll learn that the state decides who gets your genetic material or embryos. And if your embryo results in a live birth after your death, The state decides again whether your posthumous child will inherit from you, unless you have a valid last will. In that case, you can decide what happens. Imagine this real life example. This was a court case called Astro versus Capato. This is from 2012 in the United States Supreme Court. Karen and Robert. Capato, married in 1999. Robert died of cancer less than three years later. But during that time, with the help of in vitro fertilization, Karen gave birth to twins. Eighteen months after her husband died, Karen applied for Social Security survivor's benefits for the twins. And this case is here because Social Security denied her claim for benefits. So here's what happened. She submitted that application. Social Security denied that application. She appealed to an administrative law judge. She appealed to a district court. And it ended up with the United States Supreme Court. So the Michael J. Astru... A-S-T-R-U-E, was the commissioner of the Social Security Administration. That's why he's named as a party to the lawsuit, just in his uh, official capacity. The United States District Court for the District of New Jersey affirmed the decision. So the I, I said the district court. Well, the Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit said the undisputed biological children of a deceased wage earner and his widow qualify for survivor's benefits without regard to state law. And so because there was a discrepancy, a conflict between the circuits, that's why the United States Supreme Court takes the case to review the law to help the nation have um, consistency between the circuit courts, the courts of appeals. So in, in this New Jersey district court case, they held in, a, in accord with Social Security Administration's construction of the statute, the district court determined that the twins would qualify for benefits only if they could inherit from the deceased wage earner under state intestacy law. Intestacy means a person who dies without a will. And so whether he had a will in this case doesn't matter what the statute here is saying and what the Social Security Administration was alleging is that whether the child is going to qualify for survivor benefits depends on the law of distribution and descent under the intestacy statute. I know that's super weird and confusing. It it just is what it is, and uh, hopefully by the end of the show, you'll understand a little bit more, but we have to start with that. Robert Capato, the, the deceased person in this case, when he died, he was domiciled in Florida, so we have to look at what Florida what law was. Under Florida state law, a child born posthumously, that means after death, may inherit, may inherit through intestate succession only if conceived during the decedent's lifetime. So if you follow that, the child has to be conceived while the person's alive, but he could be born later after the parent dies. Okay, back to the Supreme Court ruling. Congress amended the Social Security Act in 1939 to say child's insurance benefits. That's under 42 U.S.C. Section 402, Paragraph D. An applicant qualifies for such benefits if she meets the Act's definition of child, is unmarried, is below specified age limits, 18 or 19, or is under a disability which began prior to age 22, and was dependent on the insured at the time of the insured's death. So what we're going for here, the twins, they were definitely under age 18 or 19. We're not relying on the disability. The Act's initial definition of child in 42 U.S.C. section 416E means the child or legally adopted child of an insured individual. So Robert Capato, he's the insured individual here. Under the heading, Determination of Family Status, this is a different section in uh, Section 416 of the Social Security Act, provides in determining whether an applicant is the child or parent of an insured individual for purposes of this subchapter, the Commissioner of Social Security shall apply the intestacy law of the insured individual's domiciliary state. We already said that. First, an applicant who is a son or daughter of an insured individual but is not determined to be a child under the intestacy law provision, nevertheless ranks as a child If the insured and the other parent went through a marriage ceremony, that would have been valid, but for certain legal impediments. Further, an applicant is deemed a child if before death the insured acknowledged in writing that the applicant is his or her son or daughter, or if the insured had been decreed by a court to be the father or mother of the applicant, or had been ordered to pay child support. We don't have to worry about that part. In addition, an applicant may gain child status upon proof that the insured individual was the applicant's parent and was living with or contributing to the support of the applicant when the insured individual died. Not relying on that either. The regulations state that an applicant may be entitled to benefits as a natural child, legally adopted child, stepchild, grandchild, step-grandchild, or equitably adopted child. You can see how confusing all of this is for Mrs. Capato, who just wanted to get survivor benefits for the twins. They state that an applicant may qualify for insurance benefits as a natural child by meeting any four conditions. One, the applicant could inherit the insured's personal property as his or her natural child under state inheritance laws. Two, The applicant is the insured's natural child, and his or her parents went through a ceremony which would have resulted in a valid marriage between them except for a legal impediment. 3. Before death, the insured acknowledged in writing his or her parentage of the applicant was decreed by a court to be the applicant's parent or was ordered by a court to contribute to the applicant's support. Or other evidence shows that the insured is the applicant's natural father or mother and was living with or contributing to the support of the applicant. That's in 20 CFR section 404.355A. So those are the regulations that help to interpret the statute. But there's no dispute here that Robert Capato is the father of the twins. We're just trying to figure out if Social Security is going to award them survivor benefits. Section 416E1 statement, the term child means the child of an individual is a definition of scant utility, this is what the court said, without aid from neighboring provisions. That aid is supplied by Section 416H which completes the definition of child for purposes of the subchapter that includes Section 416E. Under the completed definition, see the court is merging those two definitions together, which the Social Security Administration employs, Section 416 refers to state law to determine the status of a posthumously conceived child. The SSA, Social Security Administration, interpretation of the relevant provisions adhered to without deviation for many decades is at least reasonable. The agency's reading is therefore entitled to this court's deference. That's a reference to Chevron, which is a big Supreme Court case that decided that agencies should receive deference in interpreting regulations, and statutes. The court goes on to say, tragic circumstances. Robert Capato's death before he and his wife could raise a family gave rise to this case, but the law Congress enacted calls for resolution of Karen Capato's application for child's insurance benefits by reference to state intestacy law. We cannot replace that reference By creating a uniform federal rule, the statute's text scarcely supports. Okay, let's go back to some of the facts, just to remind you of what happened. Karen Capato married Robert Capato in May 1999. Shortly thereafter, Robert was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and was told that chemotherapy might render him sterile. Because the couple wanted children, Robert, before undergoing chemotherapy, deposited his semen in a sperm bank where it was frozen and stored. Despite Robert's aggressive treatment regimen, get this, Karen conceived naturally and gave birth to a son in August 2001. It's a miracle baby. The Capatos, however, wanted their son to have a sibling. Well, it Later two thousand one, after that baby was born, Robert's health deteriorated, and he died in Florida where he and Karen then resided in march two thousand two. His will, he did have a will, executed in Florida, named as beneficiaries the son born of his marriage of, to Karen and the two previous from a previous two children from a previous marriage. Shortly after Robert's death, Karen began in vitro fertilization using her husband's frozen sperm. She conceived in January 2003 and gave birth to twins in September 2003, 18 months after Robert's death. Okay, so we went through some of those definitions, but let's go again. The act's initial definition of child means child or legally adopted child of an insured individual. That's Robert. He was an insured individual, and the twins, it is uncontested, are the biological children of Karen and Robert. But Social Security Administration said, even so, they can only qualify if they qualify for an inheritance under the state intestacy law. Well, they didn't. The technology that made the twins' conception and birth possible, it is safe to say, was not contemplated by Congress when the relevant provisions of the Social Security Act originated. Well, the Supreme Court concluded that the Social Security Act administration's reading is better attuned to the statute's text and it's designed to benefit primarily those supported by the deceased wage earner in his or her lifetime. So the children weren't born during the wage earner's lifetime. They were born after his lifetime. Now that we know a posthumously born child is not going to qualify for Social Security survivor benefits, it is Imperative, I think, that individuals who might have children born after your your death to plan ahead to make sure that the children are taken care of financially. You don't have to always rely on Social Security. You could have life insurance, you could leave them retirement accounts, you could leave them your house, you could leave them your ranch or your car, you could leave them your savings account. Of course, this guy maybe didn't have time to save up all that stuff. Well, I want to take this one step further and see what would happen in Texas. Well, you're probably asking yourself, if my frozen embryo is born alive after I die, will my posthumously born child inherit from me? And the answer depends on state law, and whether you have a valid will. Chapter 201 of the Texas Estates Code governs the law of whether a person inherits from somebody who dies without a will. If gametes, if gametic material, also known as sperm and eggs and collectively as reproductive material or embryos are part of your life, and you die without a valid will, Texas Estates Code Section 201.056 determines whether, certain, whether a child born after you will inherit from you. Section 201.5056 states that no right of inheritance accrues to any person unless the person is born before or is in gestation at the time of the intestate's death. And in the intestate is the person that died without a will, presumably, and survives for at least 120 hours. So if you die without a will and you have a child born after your death, your child will not inherit from you in Texas unless child is born within 301 days of your death and survives for 120 hours or unless you leave a valid will with provisions for that child. So if you're using assisted reproductive technology, you may need to update your estate plan. Schedule an appointment with Marquardt Law Firm. Click the link below to schedule. So you're asking yourself, will this ever happen to me? Well, think of all the circumstances when somebody might want to Preserve their genetic material just in case something bad happens. Sometimes people will do that if they get a cancer diagnosis, like in the court case we just described. Sometimes they'll do that if they're going off to combat, if they're in the United States military. They might do that if they're a professional athlete and they're in danger of uh, getting hit or injured and resulting injury-causing infertility. There's lots of circumstances when somebody might want to preserve that. And so if it's cryogenically frozen and you die, well, then maybe you give your partner or your spouse the right to have that child after you die. So, you might want to update your estate plan to say what type of inheritance you want that person to receive. Also, excuse me, also, what might happen is um, the genetic material that you have frozen at the time of death, that's your property. And so you can decide what happens to it at that point. And what I read in my research, was that usually you decide what happens to your genetic material upon death at the time that you go to the clinic. So they have you sign some paperwork and some agreements and some contracts, say what happens if I get divorced, what happens if I die. And so if you're just now working on your estate plan, you might want to revisit that contract and see what you wrote down. Or if you did your will years ago and you're just now working on cryogenically preserving your genetic material, you might need to go back and reread your will and decide for yourself again what you would like to happen because maybe you can change your mind. So there's lots of issues like this that deal with your death and. What you own, and I realize that you may not think of this as property. Um, one friend of mine said, "Well, if uh, conception begins, if life begins at conception, then it's not property." And I, I read that the Catholic Church takes that stance; that they're not really in favor of in vitro fertilization because it tends to consider the embryo to be more of a property than of a gift from God. So there are varying views on this matter, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm just here to tell you what the law is. There's also an issue that comes up if you have a divorce. So there was a court case in Texas, uh, Roman versus Roman, and This uh, husband and wife were married on July 5th, 1997. After a few years of marriage, the parties began trying to have children. When the traditional avenues of childbirth proved unsuccessful, parties tried artificial insemination. Several attempts at artificial insemination likewise proved unsuccessful. In August 2001, The wife had laparoscopic surgery and had three more attempts at artificial insemination but was still unsuccessful at getting pregnant. The doctor then recommended that the parties try in vitro fertilization. The process of IVF involves the aspiration of ova or oocytes from the follicles of a woman's ovaries and fertilization of these ova in a laboratory procedure using the husband's or donor sperm. The resulting embryos are transferred to the uterus of the potential mother, whereupon a viable pregnancy may occur. Because the IVF procedure frequently produces more embryos than safely may be transferred into the uterus at one time, The extra embryos may be frozen for future use through a process called cryopreservation. That's where this issue came up in Alabama. Well, that's all I'm going to say about the divorce case, but I just wanted to raise the issue, if you're going through a divorce, this is also something that you need to negotiate in the settlement or go through a trial to have the judge decide. And there are statutes, Texas statutes, that that deal with this. You have to ask your divorce lawyer for more information on that. I'd like to remind you, please go to YouTube and search for Talk Law Radio. Look for the Lady Justice logo in the red, white, and blue colors. And click the subscribe button. I need for my fans and viewers to subscribe because uh, YouTube won't let me stream live until I have 1,000 subscribers. Now, I know that there's more than 1,000 people listening right now. I just need for you to stop the podcast, go to YouTube, and search for Talk Law Radio and click subscribe. I uh, thank you for listening. I'm Todd Marquardt, and I'll talk to you later.